Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa. A Passion for Sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about racism in football. Now, while most of us are missing the excitement of football in Europe's big leagues, it's worth remembering that it's been a bad season in terms of racism in European football. We hear from former Liverpool and England striker Emil Heskey. The thing is, it's it's never going to disappear because we have a society problem um, where we, we look at certain people and we perceive them to be a certain way. Also, Stuart continues looking at the African players who've done well so far this season in the English Premier League. And we go into the archive and relive a trip to the pyramids in Egypt during last year's Africa Cup of Nations. First, let's catch up on the latest concerning coronavirus and African football. Burundi's league has finally been suspended as a precaution because of COVID-19. Burundi was the only country in Africa that still had its league operating. And we're seeing some big figures in African football helping others. Former Barcelona and Cameroon striker Samuel Eto'o has said he'll distribute supplies to 100,000 people in four cities across Cameroon. Ivory Coast legend Didier Drogba has offered his hospital in Abidjan to act as a screening centre and treatment centre for coronavirus. And Manchester United right-back Aaron Wan-Bissaka has paid to send 20,000 pairs of clinical personal protective equipment gloves to doctors in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Wan-Bissaka is an England youth international, but his roots are from the DRC. wonder maybe if there's a chance of him representing uh, the DRC one day. Now, the Confederation of African Football General Secretary Abdel Ba says that the Africa Cup of Nations will return to the June-July slot after the next tournament is held early next year. Now, last year's Nations Cup was held in Egypt in June and July for the first time, and Cameroon was supposed to host the next edition in the same period in 2021. Abacaf then moved the tournament to January and February because of the wet weather in Cameroon in the middle of the year. Now, Barr told Egyptian TV that the vision is to play the Nations Cup in June and July, avoiding the club versus country rows with European clubs who have top African players. Uh, But this one goes back and forth, Ida, and the June-July slot means clashing with the expanded FIFA Club World Cup from 2025, unless the Club World Cup ends up being scaled down post-COVID-19. You've said it perfectly, Steve, the constant back and forth, you know, and not just surrounding any sort of tournament, but surrounding the continent's showpiece being moved around like a pawn in a chess game. And more and more, it just seems like the current CAF administration really just doesn't care about how the rest of the world views African football. I say this because, Steve, you wouldn't see, for example, UEFA moving the euro around back and forth. And uh, a lot of people can say what they will about the previous CAF administration, definitely had its flaws. But the one thing they did, despite a lot of pressure, was maintain the status of the Nations Cup. And uh, the club versus country route, well, it still won't be avoided at the start of 2021 with the Afghan, if everything does resume, uh, with the Afghan clashing with uh, the ongoing uh, seasons in different parts of the world. And it still won't be avoided in 2025 with the FIFA Club World Cup. 
Uh, but Steve, even before we start talking about matters 2025, can CAF first tell us their plans around more immediate concerns? I mean, Mr. Barr just a few weeks ago talked about the fact that CAF doesn't plan on cancelling any tournaments this year, despite effects of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, this was met with valid scepticism from many. I mean, some of those tournaments, Steve, include the Africa Women's Cup of Nations, which as of now doesn't even have a host. Yeah, sure. A lot of things need addressing at CAF. Now, while most of us are missing the excitement of football in Europe's big leagues with the last English Premier League game played on the 9th of last month, it's worth remembering that it's been a bad season in terms of racism in European football. A couple of weeks before coronavirus shut down football, I remember seeing Porto striker Musa Marega walking off the pitch in protest after receiving racist abuse during his side's 2-1 win away to Victoria Guimaraes in the Portuguese league. But Marega, who's from Mali, didn't have the support of all of his teammates and some even tried to stop him from walking off. Now, on Planet Sport Football Africa last October, we focused on the racist abuse of England players by home fans in Bulgaria in a Euro 2020 qualifier. The game was stopped twice because of racist behaviour, which included Nazi salutes and monkey chants in one of the ugliest episodes of racism in football. Since then, there have been many incidents, and as I say, it's been a bad season as far as racism is concerned. Now, Stewart spoke to former Liverpool and England striker Emil Heskey, who played at two World Cups and his other Premier League clubs included Leicester, Wigan and Aston Villa. Heskey has spoken about being a target of racism in various settings over the years. Stewart spoke to Heskey and asked what needs to be done in this current situation in football. The thing is, it's, not, it's never going to disappear because we have a society problem um, where we we look at certain people and they are we perceive them to be a certain way. Uh, I think John Barnes says it quite well. Where you you look at Jamaican drug dealers, like they're the only ones who deal drugs, Islamic terrorists, uh, and then you know we 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 stereotype a lot of the time. So um, this this is a bigger a bigger problem than just saying football. And the thing is, we we concentrate on being football because that's where. Uh, it's, it's the biggest, it's the biggest uh, participated sport in in the UK, and it's the biggest one on the on the television. So inevitably, we're going to see a lot of problems crop up. Well, some problems crop up there, but it's a society problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can football do? Well, at the end of the day, is it's punishments and real harsh harsh punishments to sh- to show that you're actually trying to deal with it. Um, I think that uh, recently Bulgaria got um, fine and. Uh, one game ban and uh, one suspended, right? Um, now, I didn't expect any more than that, to be honest with you. I've, that's pretty much what I expected, so I wasn't surprised. Do you think the England team should have walked off or or, or just played on as they did? The thing is, when you've got procedures in place, you, you follow the procedures. Um, when I was playing, there was no procedures in place. Now, if I, I, I'll be honest with you, if, I, if it, it happened to me and I... I don't think I would have felt like the, the, that I had the backing of anyone to say if I had walked off, people would have uh, been happy. So, uh, but now you've got the you've got procedures in place and you've got the backing of the people saying, yeah, that, this is wrong. And if you walk off, we, we yeah, we're backing you.
That's former Liverpool and England striker Emil Heskey. Uh, so, Stuart, across Europe this season, there have been many incidents of racism in football, and Heskey points to football being a reflection of society. Yes, Steve, I think Emil Heskey is correct that racism is not football's problem, but society's. And in the UK, it is very clearly a criminal offence, and a matter which Premier League clubs take very seriously. We've had cases this season of fans being caught on camera abusing black players and being banned from watching football for life. Heskey also makes a good point that there are now approved protocols in place, which were followed, for example, in the England-Bulgaria game, with the referee instructing the hosts to make an announcement that he would stop the game if there was any more outbreak of racism, which of course didn't happen in Heskey's days. But I think the biggest problem is that the authorities have not been tough enough, something again that uh, Emil Heskey mentioned in the interview. Going back to that England-Bulgaria game, Bulgaria were found guilty, received a small fine, and were banned from playing one home game. Now, many people feel that if supporters of one country racially abuse players from the opposition, then that country should immediately be disqualified from the European Championship or World Cup as appropriate, alongside a fine of perhaps a million dollars rather than the norm of about $50,000. And if the authorities took action like that, they would show the world that they are serious about racism, something which you could currently argue that isn't really clear how serious they are. And there's no doubt that racism is less of a problem now than it was in the days of Emil Heskey, but any racism is too much. And football authorities must be vigilant and have a zero-tolerance policy. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Still a lot of work to be done then, Ida, and even this strategy of walking off hasn't been embraced, I'd say. It definitely hasn't, Steve. But one thing I will disagree with Heskey on is the fact that it's gotten better with time. Look, it hasn't. The structures haven't improved. I mean, we saw the situation in February with uh, Musa Marega of FC Porto. Now, he actually walked off the pitch during a Portuguese football league. And everything that transpired before and after was absolutely ugly to witness you know because he was subject to monkey chance after he scored his goal got a yellow card for what the referee termed as a provocative celebration however what happens to the thousands of fans who were throwing seats at him making the monkey noises something the coach said actually confirmed that started during the pre-game warm-up you look at it and you wonder just how much is one person supposed to take? And um, the attitude of his fellow players, well, that was quite interesting, drew a lot of criticism because they actually tried to prevent him from walking off and taking a stand. That spoke loads, if you ask me. Um, I was in an interesting um, session with uh, Mr. Francois Carrard, Steve. Now, he is the former head of the FIFA Reform Statutes Task Force. And he said, in his opinion, um, racism is a bigger problem in football than even match fixing. And um, I thought that was incredibly powerful. Yes, so there's much to do when football eventually returns. Thanks, Ida. We'll keep on following this story here on Planet Sport Football Africa.
So when is football coming back in Europe? Well, depending on which day you're listening to the programme, you might have some news as English Premier League clubs were due to discuss the option on Friday of putting a 30 June deadline on the current season. Uh, many players' present deals expire at the end of June. And there are so many stories and talking points around the situation, Stuart. Another interesting opinion expressed this week was by Dr. Zach Bennett, who's a leading epidemiologist in America. He said he didn't believe it would be safe to play sport in full stadiums for 18 months. His comments included saying that if five people meeting together is more dangerous than two, and 10 is more dangerous than five, then 60,000 people is extremely dangerous. And if he is right, even if fixtures do restart, it'll be a long time before normality returns. Steve, we discussed some ballpark figures for the amount of losses to Premier League clubs if the season were to be abandoned. And this week, the Times newspaper published some detailed figures based on well-researched calculations. And the conclusion is that if the season were to be abandoned at this point, Manchester United would lose $138 million. And that would be made up of $50 million from television, $20 million match-day income, and 68 million commercial income. Next would be Manchester City with 128 million, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham and Liverpool around 100 million, and at the bottom end of the spectrum, Bournemouth and Norwich would each lose 35 million dollars. However, I couldn't help thinking that if the season were to be finished and league positions remained as they are, Bournemouth and Norwich City would both be relegated and a loss of considerably more than $30 million would result from that. Now, one thing, Steve, that I hadn't thought about is what happens if the season is not completed. But you still need to have champions, top four for the Champions League, and a bottom three for relegation. Now, currently, 16 clubs have played 29 games, and the other four 28 games. So, do you simply divide points by games to make it fair for all clubs? Or do you do a league table based on the first 19 games so that each club will have played every other club once? And interestingly, if you take all the games, Bournemouth, Aston Villa and Norwich would be relegated. But if you take the first 19 games, Watford would be relegated and Bournemouth would survive. Sort that one out. Finally, Steve... If you happen to have a spare $25, the German club Borussia Mönchengladbach have made a really interesting offer to fans. You can have a plastic cutout with your face on it sitting in the stand when the season resumes behind closed doors and proceedings will go to local children's charities. Steve, I think you should do this. (laughs) Well, it's a great idea because it means at least you're there with your favourite club in spirit if you're not there in person. Uh, Thanks, Stuart. This is Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. 
Now, while we're all affected by the coronavirus in some way, and while life has changed for most of us, and there are many challenges right now, we're making sure that Planet Sport Football Africa gives you plenty of entertainment every week to lift your spirits. So we're going into our archive to give you some of our most memorable moments as a team. Well, I was with the Passion for Sport team at the Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt last year, and we went to see the pyramids. <laughs> This is Moses, uh, he's my camel, and he's taking me on a ride through the desert to see the pyramids in temperatures of 40 degrees. Well, camels are really grumpy, and uh, it's a bit of a challenge getting used to sitting on one, but they are built for the desert, and Moses did a splendid job. Uh, so the pyramids, well, going there was as amazing as I'd expected, uh, getting to see them up close. And uh, they're in the desert, but uh, they're right on the edge of the town, on the outskirts of Cairo, so they're not remote at all. Well, Moses the camel took us past the huge stone sphinx with the head of a human and the body of a lion. Well, the pyramids were built as burial places. Uh, the great one is for Khufu, the pharaoh, uh, also known as Cheops, and uh, for Khufu's son, Khafre, the pharaoh, and for his son, Menkaure, who was the next pharaoh. Uh, the smaller pyramids are for their wives as well. And you will find pyramids uh, elsewhere in Egypt and in Sudan too. They were built around 4,500 years ago, and how they were built exactly remains a mystery. The Great Pyramid is 137 metres high, uh, built of blocks of stone, two and a half tonnes each, and 2.3 million blocks went into making the Great Pyramid. There's incredible mathematical geometry in the dimensions of the pyramids. I don't have time to take you through that, but uh, they're so complex that some have said maybe the pyramids were built by aliens. Others have said maybe by angels. If it was built by humans, it's one of the greatest achievements in human history. Of the seven wonders of the ancient world, only the pyramids remain. What an experience getting to see the pyramids, and many thanks to my camel Moses for making it all possible. <laughs> well, a fascinating experience indeed that was, although I must say that a camel is not the most comfortable way of uh, travelling around unless you get used to it. Uh, that from our archives at the Africa Cup of Nations last year. Well, now, as there's no action in the English Premier League right now, Stuart's taking a look at how the African players have done so far this season. Last week, he focused on the Africans who've been outstanding so far. Those were Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Jordan Ayew and marvellous Nakamba at Aston Villa. Those were Stuart's outstanding players. And this week, he takes a look at those who've been very good this season so far. Let's start with Riyad Mahrez. Everyone knows how good he is. While he only started 15 league games at Manchester City this season, that's just life at a club like Manchester City with a first-team squad of 35 players, most of them internationals. Nicolas Pepe, the Ivorian at Arsenal. Now, when he was signed from Lille last summer for a very high fee, questions were asked about whether he was a good investment, value for money. And as Arsenal struggled, and he wasn't actually guaranteed a starting place at the beginning of the season, the question seemed very relevant. And more so when the manager who signed him, Una Emery, was fired. One really wondered where Pepe was left. But under Mikel Arteta, the new manager of Arsenal, 
Pepe has flourished, starting 17 games, scoring four goals and establishing himself in the starting lineup and gaining the manager's confidence. Wilfred Ndidi from Nigeria has been a model of consistency since joining Leicester City from Genk in Belgium three seasons ago. He's been a regular in the midfield, helping Leicester quite frankly surprised most of us by climbing into third place in this season's league table and looking set for a Champions League place. Indeed, his all-action style, seemingly covering every blade of grass, has seen him flourish under the new Leicester manager Brendan Rodgers. Now, it's been a difficult season for Tottenham, with Jose Mourinho replacing Mauricio Pochettino as manager, but not really being able to produce the traditional Jose magic, leaving Tottenham in eighth place in the league. But the Ivorian Serge Aurier, now in his third season at Tottenham, has established himself as a first-team player, having struggled for game time last season. He even scored his first goal for two seasons, and the only blot on his landscape was making two rice tackles in five minutes against Southampton, both getting him a yellow card. Now, Mbwana Samata, the first Tanzanian to play in the Premier League, has also made a good start. Already 27 when he got his chance in the Premier League, having spent four seasons at TP Mzembe and another four seasons in Belgium with Racing Genk, he joined Aston Villa in the January transfer window. He's played in only four league games before the season was interrupted and Villa lost all of them, but he scored his first goal and he also scored for Villa in the League Cup final, which Villa lost 2-1 to Manchester City. Now, it's tough coming into the Premier League and particularly with a struggling team, but Samata has started well enough to suggest that he has what it takes to survive. Ismail Assar from Senegal is in his first season with Watford, having come from Rennes in France. And Watford have, of course, been involved in a relegation battle all season. But Saar has established himself in the starting lineup, scoring five goals, including memorably those two goals against Liverpool, when Watford inflicted the Reds' only defeat of the season. And like Samata at Aston Villa, Saar will be desperately hoping that his club are able to give him Premier League football next season. Wolves continue to surprise everyone. Promoted from the Championship in 2018, they finished 7th last year and are currently 6th in the league table and they're still in the Europa League. And Roman Saiz from Morocco in his 4th season with Wolves is a regular starter and he's playing well. His only negative this season is that he's missed a number of games, having received one red and nine yellow cards. The last one on my list of players who's performed well this season is Cheku Koyati of Senegal, who's been bossing the midfield for Crystal Palace. After six years in Belgium, he had four years at West Ham, where they surprisingly let him go in 2018. I've always liked him as a player, Normally a defensive midfield player, and doesn't every team need one, but he scored 13 Premier League goals, a real asset to Crystal Palace, and overall it seems that there has been a significant African presence in the Premier League this season. Thanks, Stuart. Yes, a Senegal Sheku Kouyate, a very good player. I rate him highly too. He can play box to box and uh, has great strength. Stuart will continue this series next week here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. 
Now we turn to social media, and last week we asked, is scrapping the English Premier League the best thing to do? Of course, the Premier League remains suspended because of the coronavirus pandemic, with no date as yet for the resumption of games, and with Liverpool tantalisingly just two wins away from becoming champions. The Premier League could lose as much as one and a quarter billion dollars if the season cannot finish. But is scrapping the season and starting a new one later this year the best thing to do? On What's Up, we start with Gemma in the United States and Gemmo says I don't think scrapping the season is the best thing to do. There's so much at stake with teams seeking promotion to the Premier League, relegation and clubs aiming to represent uh, the country in Europe. Scrapping the season is not a fair solution for any of the parties involved. And Asiku Lawrence in Uganda agrees saying how could this compensate Liverpool for all the great hard work they put in this season? My suggestion is to play the remaining games in closed stadiums with no fans, says Asiku. Daniel is in Ghana. This is a very hard situation to deal with, says Daniel. I strongly believe that the Premier League title race was a done deal even before the pandemic. Scrapping it to begin another isn't a fair idea. Liverpool will be so disappointed looking at how much they put in to get this far. But Emma, also in Ghana, has a different view. Yes, if the corona pandemic doesn't get any better, they should scrap the season, says Emma. Losing some money is better than risking losing lives. Life is priceless. Modu GJ Colley in The Gambia agrees. The best thing to me is to make the season null and void. It's not anyone's fault, but health is more important, says Modu. As long as you're healthy, there is hope in life. Dems Kande is also in the Gambia. In my opinion, Liverpool obviously should win the title, says Dems, but regarding the loss of big money, there's no other option but to scrap the season because the league can't continue. To Malawi now, and James Wallace Jr. says, I think this is the toughest decision the governing body will ever have to make. Consider the effort that Liverpool have put in this season. But measures to combat coronavirus will not last, so they should just end this season and start planning for the next, says James. Ephratha Kamanga, also in Malawi, agrees. Just award Liverpool the trophy and start a new season in July if things are OK then, says Ephratha. Musa Balde and the Gambia says they should be patient and not scrap the season, but if they have to, Liverpool should be awarded the title. Also agreeing is Mwenda Zambwe in Zambia. Scrapping the season is a very good idea, says Mwenda. Life is more important than the money involved. Starting again is the best idea, even if it means no champions and no relegation. This can sound harsh on Liverpool, Leeds and West Brom, who are chasing Premier League promotion, but there's no better option than to start again. But Obina in Nigeria disagrees. Liverpool are champions in waiting, says Obina. It'll be very unfair to scrap the season because championship sides like Leeds and West Brom will also be very badly affected. The Premier League can go on without fans in the stadiums. That should be a good option. Bakari Nyasi is in the United Arab Emirates. This is a very difficult question, says Bakari, but if scrapping the Premier League is the best thing, then so be it. However, that would be unfair for Liverpool, who've struggled for so many years to take the title. Patrick Mwamlima in Malawi says scrapping the season and starting a new one is unfair to Liverpool. They deserve to be champions, says Patrick, and also agreeing is Biswek and Jaqua in Malawi. I'm a Man United fan, says Biswek, but I feel for Liverpool, who've been waiting 30 years for this title. 
John in Ghana shares a similar view. I'm a Manchester United fan, but Liverpool have worked very hard for the title. They should be awarded it and they should promote the first and second teams in the championship. Uh, well, if we were to follow what John suggests, that would mean a 22-team league and maybe relegating five teams next season. Clement is in Ivory Coast. Coronavirus has been a threat to everyone on the surface of the earth and to me scrapping the Premier League is the best antidote because the pandemic is extremely contagious, says Clement. But Alessana Drame in the Gambia says, I think finishing the season is the best solution. Scrapping it will create more loss and confusion within the Premier League. Abdul Aziz Bojang in the Gambia agrees, saying no matter what happens, they should complete the season when the coronavirus battle is ended, says Abdul. Otherwise, it's unfair for teams like Liverpool and others. Della Akafia is in Ghana. Scrapping the Premier League is not the best option, as measures could be put in place to play the remaining fixtures if top officials and teams can be checked and tested for COVID-19 first, says Della. And on that note, Noble Botamani in Malawi says, I think scrapping the season is the best thing to do in order to avoid the spreading of the virus. And finally, Lee Sise in the Gambia says, Oh no, scrapping the league should definitely be the last thing to consider. I hope another swift way of completing the season will be on the cards. Well, this week on social media, asking you which African player in the Premier League has impressed you most this season outside of the big three. We've heard Stuart this week and last week talking about some of the outstanding players in the Premier League this season from an African point of view. Uh, clearly, most of us would say the top three would have to be Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But looking outside of those three, which African player has impressed you most and why? So you can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport. Football Africa and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, that's it for the show for this week. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, do stay safe and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.